0: Section Fifteen of *The Adventures of Gerard*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. How the Brigadier rode to Minsk, continued. He slipped out his knife, thrust the blade between the clenched teeth of the Russian, and turned it so as to force his mouth open. There, on his tongue, was the little wad of wet paper which he had been so anxious to swallow. Udam picked it out, and I let go of the man's throat. From the way in which, half strangled as he was, he glanced at the paper, I was sure that it was a message of extreme importance. His hands twitched as if he longed to snatch it from me. He shrugged his shoulders, however, and smiled good-humouredly when I apologised for my roughness. "'And now to business,' said I, when he had done coughing and hawking. "'What is your name?' "'Alexis Barakoff.' "'Your rank and regiment?' "'Captain of the Dragoons of Grodno.' "'What is this note which you are carrying?' "'It is a line which I had written to my sweetheart.' "'Whose name,' said I, examining the address, "'is the headman Platov. "'Come, come, sir. "'This is an important military document "'which you are carrying from one general to another. "'Tell me this instant what it is.' "'Read it, and then you will know.' "'He spoke perfect French, "'as do most of the educated Russians.' "'but he knew well that there is not one French officer in a thousand "'who knows a word of Russian. "'The inside of the note contained one single line, "'which ran like this. "'Pudstfranzuzi pridutvi Minsk, mingatovi. "'I stared at it, and I had to shake my head. "'Then I showed it to my hussars, "'but they could make nothing of it. "'The Poles were all rough fellows who could not read or write, "'save only the sergeant, who came from Memel in East Prussia, "'and you no know no Russian. "'It was maddening, "'for I felt that I had possession "'of some important secret "'upon which the safety of the army "'might depend, "'and yet I could make no sense of it. "'Again I entreated our prisoner "'to translate it, "'and offered him his freedom "'if he would do so. "'He only smiled at my request. "'I could not but admire him, "'for it was the very smile "'which I should have myself smiled "'had I been in his position. "'At least,' said I, "'Tell us the name of this village. "'It is Duprova. "'And that is Minsk over yonder, I suppose? "'Yes, that is Minsk. "'Then we shall go to the village, "'and we shall very soon find someone "'who will translate this dispatch. "'So we rode onward together, "'a trooper with his carbine unslung "'on either side of our prisoner. "'The village was but a little place, "'and I set a guard at the ends of the single street "'so that no one could escape from it it was necessary to call a halt and to find some food for the men and horses, since they had travelled all night and had a long journey still before them. There was one large stone house in the centre of the village, and to this I rode. It was the house of the priest, a snuffy and ill-favoured old man, who had not a civil answer to any of our questions. An uglier fellow I never met, but my faith, it was very different with his only daughter who kept house for him. She was a brunette, a rare thing in Russia, with creamy skin, raven hair, and a pair of the most glorious dark eyes that ever kindled at the sight of a hussar. From the first glance I saw that she was mine. It was no time for love-making when a soldier's duty had to be done, but still, as I took the simple meal which they laid before me, I chatted lightly with the lady, and we were the best of friends before an hour had passed. Sophie was her first name, her second I never knew. I taught her to call me Etienne, and I tried to cheer her up, for her sweet face was sad, and there were tears in her beautiful dark eyes. I pressed her to tell me what it was which was grieving her. "'How can I be otherwise?' said she, speaking French with a most adorable lisp. "'When one of my poor countrymen is a prisoner in your hands—' I saw him between two of your hussars as you rode into the village. It is the fortune of war, said I. His turn to-day, mine perhaps to-morrow. But consider, monsieur, said she. Etienne, said I. Oh, monsieur, Etienne, said I. Well, then, she cried, beautifully flushed and desperate, consider Etienne that this young officer will be taken back to your army, and will be starved or frozen, for if, as I hear, your own soldiers have a hard march, what will be the lot of a prisoner?' I shrugged my shoulders. "'You have a kind face, Etienne,' said she. "'You would not condemn this poor man to certain death. I entreat you to let him go.' Her delicate hand rested upon my sleeve, Her dark eyes looked imploringly into mine. A sudden thought passed through my mind. I would grant her request, but I would demand a favour in return. At my order the prisoner was brought up into the room. "'Captain Barakoff said I, "'this young lady has begged me to release you, and I am inclined to do so. I would ask you to give your parole that you will remain in this dwelling for twenty-four hours, and take no steps to inform anyone of our movements.' "'I would do so,' said he. "'Then I trust in your honour. "'One man, more or less, can make no difference "'in a struggle between great armies, "'and to take you back as a prisoner "'would be to condemn you to death. "'Depart, sir, and show your gratitude not to me, "'but to the first French officer who falls into your hands.' "'When he was gone, I drew my paper from my pocket. "'Now, Sophie,' said I, "'I have done what you asked me, "'and all that I ask in return "'is that you will give me a lesson in Russian.' "'With all my heart,' said she. "'Let us begin on this,' said I, "'spreading out the paper before her. "'Let us take it word for word, "'and see what it means.' "'It means,' said she, "'if the French come to Minsk, all is lost.' Suddenly a look of consternation passed over her beautiful face. "'Great heavens!' she cried, what is it that i have done i have betrayed my country oh etienne your eyes are the last for whom this message is meant how could you be so cunning as to make a poor simple-minded and unsuspecting girl betray the cause of her country i consoled my poor sophie as best i might and i assured her that it was no reproach to her that she should be outwitted by so old a campaigner and so shrewd a man as myself HIGHER THEY rose AND HIGHER! Until at last, as the sun sank toward the west, we were in the broad main street, and galloped up it amid the shouts of the mujiks and the cries of frightened women, until we found ourselves in front of the great town hall. My cavalry I drew up in the square, and I, with my two sergeants, Houdin and Papillet, rushed into the building. HEAVENS, SHALL I EVER FORGET THE SIGHT WHICH GREETED US! Right in front of us was drawn up a triple line of Russian grenadiers. Their muskets rose as we entered, and a crashing volley burst into our very faces. Houdin and Papillette dropped upon the floor, riddled with bullets. For myself, my Busby was shot away, and I had two holes through my dolman. The grenadiers ran at me with their bayonets. "'Treason!' I cried. "'We are betrayed. "'Stand to your horses.' I rushed out of the hall, but the whole square was swarming with troops. From every side street dragoons and Cossacks were riding down upon us, and such a rolling fire had burst from the surrounding houses that half my men and horses were on the ground. "'Follow me!' I yelled, and sprang upon Violet, but a giant of a Russian dragoon officer threw his arms round me, and we rolled on the ground together. He shortened his sword to kill me, "'but changing his mind he seized me by the throat "'and banged my head against the stones "'until I was unconscious. "'So it was that I became the prisoner of the Russians. "'When I came to myself, "'my only regret was that my captor "'had not beaten out my brains. "'There in the grand square of Minsk "'lay half my troopers, dead or wounded, "'with exultant crowds of Russians gathered around them. "'The rest in a melancholy group, were herded into the porch of the town hall, a sotnia of Cossacks keeping guard over them. Alas, what could I say, what could I do? It was evident that I had led my men into a carefully baited trap. They had heard of our mission, and they had prepared for us. And yet there was that dispatch which had caused me to neglect all precautions, and to ride straight into the town. How was I to account for that? The tears ran down my cheeks, as I surveyed the ruin of my squadron and as I thought of the plight of my comrades of the grand army who awaited the food which I was to have brought them ney had trusted me and I had failed him how often he would strain his eyes over the snow-fields for that convoy of grain which should never gladden his sight my own fate was hard enough an exile in Siberia was the best which the future could bring me but you will believe me my friends It was not for his own sake, but for that of his starving comrades, that Etienne Gérard's cheeks were lined by his tears, frozen even as they were shed. "'What's this?' said a gruff voice at my elbow, and I turned to face the huge black-bearded dragoon who had dragged me from my saddle. "'Look at the Frenchman crying! I thought that the Corsican was followed by brave men, not by children!' "'If you and I were face to face and alone, I should let you see which is the better man,' said I. For answer, the brute struck me across the face with his open hand. I seized him by the throat, but a dozen of his soldiers tore me away from him, and he struck me again while they held my hands. "'You base hound!' I cried. "'Is this the way to treat an officer and a gentleman?' "'We never asked you to come to Russia,' said he. If you do, you must take such treatment as you can get. I would shoot you offhand if I had my way. "'You will answer for this some day,' I cried as I wiped the blood from my moustache. "'If the headman Platoff is of my way of thinking, you will not be alive this time tomorrow,' he answered with a ferocious scowl. He added some words in Russian to his troops, and instantly they all sprang to their saddles. Poor Violette, looking as miserable as her master, was led round, and I was told to mount her. My left arm was tied with a thong, which was fastened to the stirrup-iron of a sergeant of dragoons. So, in most sorry plight, I and the remnant of my men set forth from Minsk. Never have I met such a brute as this man Serganay, who commanded the escort. The Russian army contains the best and the worst in the world— but a worse than Major Sergine of the Dragoons of Kiev I have never seen in any force outside of the guerrillas of the peninsula. He was a man of great stature, with a fierce hard face and a bristling black beard which fell over his cuirass. I have been told since that he was noted for his strength and his bravery, and I could answer for it that he had the grip of a bear, for I had felt it when he tore me from my saddle. He was a wit, too, in his way— and made continual remarks in Russian at our expense, which set all his dragoons and Cossacks laughing. Twice he beat my comrades with his riding-whip, and once he approached me with the lash swung over his shoulder, but there was something in my eyes which prevented it from falling. So in misery and humiliation, cold and starving, we rode in a disconsolate column across the vast snow-plain. The sun had sunk, but still in the long northern twilight we pursued our weary journey. Numbed and frozen, with my head aching from the blows it had received, I was borne onward by Violette, hardly conscious of where I was or whither I was going. The little mare walked with a sunken head, only raising it to snort her contempt for the mangy Cossack ponies who were around her. But suddenly the escort stopped, and I found that we had halted, in the single street of a small russian village there was a church on one side and on the other was a large stone house the outline of which seemed to me to be familiar i looked around me in the twilight and then i saw that we had been led back to Debrova, and that this house at the door of which we were waiting was the same house of the priest at which we had stopped in the morning here it was that my charming sophie in her innocence had translated the unlucky message which had in some strange way led us to our ruin. To think that only a few hours before we had left this very spot with such high hopes and all fair prospects for our mission, and now the remnants of us waited, as beaten and humiliated men, for whatever lot a brutal enemy might ordain. But such is the fate of the soldier, my friends, kisses to-day, blows to-morrow, tokay in a palace, ditch-water in a hovel, furs or rags, a full purse or an empty pocket ever swaying from the best to the worst with only his courage and his honor unchanging end of section fifteen